Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey everyone, welcome to Talk Easy, a weekly podcast of interviews with fascinating people from all walks of life. I'm your host, Sam Fragoso. Thanks for tuning in. This week on the podcast, we have celebrated actor David Oyelowo. Born in Oxford to Nigerian parents, David's acting career began on the stage in 1999, where he starred in a series of Shakespearean plays, including Antony and Cleopatra. His breakthrough in the theater came a little later, though, when he played King Henry VI in a trilogy of plays called This England, The Histories. Soon, Oyelowo found his footing in the movies, where he appeared in a string of notable films, including Rise of the Planet of the Apes, The Help, Red Tails, Lincoln, Lee Daniels, The Butler, Interstellar, A Most Violent Year, and The Endless List goes on. All these accomplishments, though, were merely leading up to his work in Ava DuVernay's monumental film, Selma, where David assumed the role of Martin Luther King. For more than two powerful hours, Oyelowo turned the soundbite and myth of King into a genuine human being. And in case you were ever wondering when you should stop caring about the Oscars, go ahead and take 2014-2015 as that time, as David, for some inexplicable reason, was not nominated for his groundbreaking work. I am unable to exercise my constitutional right to vote. I do not have command of my own life. I cannot determine my own destiny, for it is determined for me by people who would rather see me suffer than succeed. Those that have gone before us say, no more, no more. That means protest. That means march. That means disturb the peace. That means jail. That means risk. 
and that is hard. We will not wait any longer. Give us the vote. That's right. No more. We're not asking. We're demanding. Give us the vote. When I spoke to Oyelowo, he was in town for five nights in Maine, which made its premiere at this year's San Francisco International Film Festival. The reality is much has happened in Oyelowo's life since Selma, and he was remarkably forthright about the trajectory of his career while still envisioning a more diverse and representative Hollywood. We also get into his upbringing in the UK and Nigeria, along with the criticisms directed at the upcoming controversial film, Nina. And for the first time on the show, I have no preface warning you about the audio. There are no chirping birds, shoddy Wi-Fi, or blaring construction work. It's just David and I and his ridiculously beautiful-sounding British accent. So, now, finally, here's David Oyelowo. There's always this talk about David was the first actor in England to play uh, a king, the first black actor in, in and then there's Martin Luther King, and it's, wow, finally that movie is, is here. Mm. There always seems to be, like, you're, like you're an anomaly. Mm. Like, you're an exception. You know, you, you've, aren't, you're breaking some barrier. And I, I guess I'm curious, are, are you anticipating a point where it's, it's not that? <laughs> uh, that's such a good question. Um, it's funny, my brother, you know, when he happens upon these interviews on the internet or in the newspapers, he always says, why do they keep on going on about Henry VI? Or, you know, and I guess it's uh, Selma now and playing Martin Luther King. Um, but both those projects and others have been seminal for me. The thing that I didn't anticipate is that they would be uh, seminal in ways that I hadn't foreseen. You know, when I played Henry VI at the Royal Shakespeare Company, I didn't realize I was the first black actor to be afforded that opportunity at the RSC. And, and the director didn't either. No. And, and, and that's, you know, a testament to him. And thankfully, eventually, the, the production that, that wasn't, you know, uh, a part of the agenda to specifically have a black actor playing that role. And similarly, when I very first encountered the script, Selma, I was also shocked to, to realize that it was going to be the first film uh, where Dr. King was the central role. So, you know, uh, but yes, I mean, I, I, I actively go after those kind of roles because I am the center of my own life, uh, black or otherwise, you know, husband, friend, father, you know, and I want to see someone like me at the center of a story, even though it's seldom or uh, rarely or not as often as it should happen. Do you think you're seeing more of you? Sorry? Do you think you're seeing more of you in movies now? Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, Five Nights in Maine, for which I'm here in San Francisco, the San Francisco Film Festival, is a case in point. And I think one of the things that's helped me see more of me in movies is producing right you know because as a producer you can shape the narrative you can craft the narrative you can make sure the qualities of a certain level or at least um be the one or one of the people in the driving seat to uh make sure that it is what you hope for as opposed to sort of being a cog in the wheel which is often the case 
um, as an actor. I was at Sundance and I was assigned by an editor to talk to uh, a black actor. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was around the time of the Oscars, the Oscars mm-hmm. so white and all that, all that stuff. And there seems to be a pattern in media and in these interviews mm-hmm. that if if one is talking to someone of color, mm-hmm. it is a prerequisite and required that I talk to you about the problem in Hollywood. Mm. Do you get sick of constantly going over that? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. I get sick of it because I can tell other people are sick of it. Right. Um, Because we're running in circles. It's just the same thing. We are. And, you know, in my opinion, it's time to stop talking and time to start doing. Yeah. Is that why you're producing more? Absolutely. And I would rather focus on that. Uh, You can't get to the doing without some of the talking because a lot of the challenges that are being faced are due to ignorance, really. You know, I wouldn't. I would almost say it's not overt racism, but exactly as you say, you, you end up going around in circles if you're trying to have a conversation about it. Because really, you know, as we say in the UK, the proof is in the pudding. You know, you have to sort of... Is that a UK saying? That, that is a UK saying. I prefaced it by saying uh-huh. it's a UK saying because I, I know people be going, what the proof is in the I, pudding? I don't know where that idiom comes from. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, if we were in England, everyone would be, be nodding their heads profusely. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, it's... it's uh, or, or we could say, you know, just just walk the talk, you know, and, right. and that's, that's what I want to focus on. And, and as I say, that's what the producing is about. And that's what picking roles over other roles is also about. You know, I say no a lot right. because I, I truly believe that I, I won't see the me I want to see if I take roles that perpetuate some of these, um, stereotypes, caricatures that basically enable certain people, studios, producers, writers, the audience, to stay in a place of ignorance about seeing someone who looks like me in a different way. Right. You talk about us, the the conversation about race in Hollywood running in circles, but do you feel your career is evolving in 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 a way that you're happy with? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, one of the biggest challenges I have faced personally um, as an actor in an 18 year career now is resistance to being the protagonist, resistance to being the center of the story, resistance to being the center of the story from a place of power as, as opposed to from a place of weakness yeah. or uh, as opposed to being on the periphery of one's own story, even if uh, there is a pretense that you're at the center. I think this is why you, we really talked earlier about uh, Selma, mm. you said it took so long for Selma to be made because it was very hard for the majority of America to accept a story about a black man where there was not a white savior. I would actually say it was less about the audience and more about the industry. Right. I think there is... Which a, are not, they're not the same. They're not the same. But they're often, I, like I just did, I lazily lumped them in together. Uh, absolutely. And, and and that's the thing is is that... In the age of social media, in the age where network television is ceding ground to cable television, where the, the audience is, is able to give a sense and a voice to what they want to see quicker, studios, channels, media are having to catch up to what the audience actually wants to see as opposed to what they've decided they want to see. Right. So 
lies like, you know, the audience isn't ready to see people of color or women, um, you know, in a heroic vein, in a leadership vein, in a protagonist uh, situation uh, other than Will Smith or Denzel Washington um, is just not true. You know, we've seen so many examples of that recently with Creed and Straight Out of Compton and, you know, and, and on and on and on. I think on. aren't those Star two Wars. best from last year in my head in terms of big budget movies in the studio system? Mm. Creed uh, and Straight Out of Compton, I think, were at the top. I think they were the best ones made. And and even if, for whatever reason, you didn't like those films, they're still undeniable yeah. in terms of box office, in terms of cultural reach, um, in terms of also bringing fresh talent to the fore, which is always, to my mind, one yeah. of the most exciting things or should be one of the most exciting things for Hollywood, you know, a, a, an industry that is constantly perpetuating itself. To, to have fresh voices like Ryan Coogler, like Michael B. Jordan, like that phenomenal cast in Straight Out of Compton, uh, to me was just so exciting. And, uh, you, you know, and the audience responded. You yeah. know, you, you simply cannot go north of a hundred million dollars without breaking the color barrier. Yeah. It, it, those are not black movies. Those are populist movies. Right. I mentioned the advancement of your career and I, I don't even know if you want to call it a career, if you just want to call it a vocation or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, I, but, I'll, I'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> because um, you said, I, have, I just have the quote here. You told me, um, in all honesty, there's nothing in my life right now akin to what playing Dr. King, King meant to me for seven years. Mm. And when I reread that today, I thought, God, that's a lot. Not only is that a lot of time, but that's a lot of thought and heart going into one role mm. and it's the role people now know you by mm -hmm. but it, i guess i'm curious how do you create something else on the same level on the same magnitude for yourself not even audience audience response be damned mm. for yourself yeah i mean that that's you just gave me <laughs> the way you said yeah you did that yeah well, well, it's it's it's, 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 it's it. it was almost like a fuck you, Sam. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's because it's a very good question. It's it's like, you know, uh, it's it's like winning the gold at the Olympics, and and and, and then you you and then you kind of go, okay, let's do I do that again, or do I, you know, that's what Where it was do I like sign for up me. To win gold again? Can I can, can I just do that? Oh, we'll check that. Okay, uh, cool. You know, and, and that's what it felt like for me, you know, because I know for a fact that I've never worked harder. Uh, I've never felt more blessed. I've never worked with a group of people I felt were more right and apt, you know, between Ava DuVernay as a director and Oprah Winfrey and Jeremy Kleiner and Didi Gardner as producers and just the timing of it as well, you know, in terms of what was going on in this country. Um, and look, I'm a British actor of Nigerian descent. You know, I am just not the guy who you would pluck out of any scenario to do this. And yet I was afforded the opportunity. So, you know, uh, the, the time where all of those elements will come about again. Look, I've made peace with the fact that it might never happen again. And I'm okay with that because there are more actors 
than you and I care to mention who will never, you know, have the opportunity I've already had. And that's an amazing thing to be able to say. That's a, a, a bold thing to say as an artist where you potentially accept the reality that this is because it was a culmination of things, right? Because you also had all these films that you dabbled in the Civil War. You had, mm-hmm. you know, Lincoln. You had Red Tails. You had The Help. The, the Butler. Help, the, Butler I mean, yeah. You really had it, that was your. And we, we mentioned this before. The, the Selma was your thesis. It was mm-hmm. like here are all the classes I took, and you were ready for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and look, I I um. The the thing that Selma has given me is now the opportunity to explore new challenges from a place of less resistance. Um, like, which is key because resistance seems to be frequent. Absolutely. And not just because I'm a black actor. It's, it's a tough industry. Um, you know, so uh, it's, it's, it's par for the course, but it's now a question of what you do with a degree of notoriety, what you do with the opportunity. Um, you know, and I have a film, uh, coming out this year called A United Kingdom, which is a six year journey for me, you know, uh, getting to play an African king in the, in the, in the form of Seretse Kama, uh, who was from Botswana. And that was also a very, um, steep mountain to climb. Um, and, uh, and we, we got it done. And I love the film. Um, but there are other challenges that, that I'm now keen to explore. Some that I hadn't entertained before that again, the platform I now have, uh, affords me that, you know, bigger films, uh, films that uh, are not necessarily centered on race, which in and of itself is also, right. you know, that's what uh, Five Nights of Maine is. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're a vulnerable, um, heartbroken, widow what, mm-hmm. what, is that the male is that the correct terminology yeah, yeah. widower widower yeah yeah um and you're from georgia i think right mm-hmm. yeah exactly right not not race oriented by any means no it never comes up yeah. it never comes up and uh that's I wouldn't say it's one of the reasons I wanted to do the film, but it's certainly one of the reasons I love the film right you know the the idea of myself and Diane Weist you know, in a house together for five days in rural Maine, having it out over familial dysfunction. Those are images I haven't really seen before. That's a dynamic I personally haven't really seen before. And um, I like that. I like pushing the boundary because, you know, ultimately for me, my biggest challenge to myself, and I guess therefore the audience, is to continue to contextualize Black life, which in reality is just life, but it's black life because it it is still anomalous. Why does it have to be? I I think I'm maybe more hopeful. I try to be optimistic, but I want to. I would love to get to a place where you just it is just life. That's that's exactly where I'm gunning for. But you know, I, I read a review for Five Nights in Maine where the reviewer's main critique was the fact that the topic of race didn't come up. And that's disheartening. It's probably written by a white person. It, it, it was. You looked it up? Uh, what, sorry? You looked it up? I, I, I know who the critic is, oh. you know, and, uh, I, and it's, a, it's a well-known publication. And uh, it's unfortunately not surprising that, that that's 
you know, the, the thing to pick out of the film. But that's why I'm still in the place of knowingly feeling the need to contextualize what someone like me means in the world because it's still an image that is um, noticeable to a lot of uh, the American population uh, when it happens. But you and the image you talk about, I mean, David, you, I mean, you are unique. You are very, your history, your ancestral history, mm-hmm. you were born in the UK, mm-hmm. then you went back to Nigeria, mm-hmm. and then you went back to the UK. Yeah. So I'm interested in your sort of perception or identity of of yourself now because I, I listened to that Terry Gross interview mm-hmm. you talked about as a kid people would call you coconut right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is our way of saying the Oreo mm-hmm. black on the outside white on the inside mm. has your identity of yourself shifted and changed as you moved to America and, and you've evolved in your career and, and all that you know what I'm certainly more aware of racism as a debilitating syndrome, having lived in America. Uh, In Nigeria, it's a non-issue because I'm the majority. In the UK, it's more insidious. It's more buried within the class system. There There are more reasons or more excuses for hiding it as a reality. In America, the news... The media, life in general, politics, it is just so apparent that race still is a big reality as an obstacle in people's minds. Whether you're black, Asian, white, it's a presence. As much as people, liberal people even, like to think that it's not, it is. It just is. And in many ways, I've become more aware of it the more notoriety I've gained because you then are more aware of how anomalous you are. And that's uncomfortable for me. I don't want to be an anomaly. anomaly. I don't want to be uh, my success or my voice or the kind of work I'm choosing to do to be so rarefied that it is right. palpably noticeable. You want to be an anomaly in that you're uniquely talented right. and gifted as an actor. Right. Not an anomaly is, wow, that's a black actor in this movie and he's playing a kink in this play. Exactly. Which basically equates to a lot of the work I do being politicized. Right. Um, and then it's, do you feel that the artistic merits of your work are just, they take a back seat? Well... I don't mind it because my hope is that it's moving the conversation forward. My hope is that there will be a generation beyond mine that that would not be the case because the issue is talked out, uh, whereby there won't be attacks on a film like Selma because someone somewhere feels like the film should really be about Lyndon Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that I hope will not continue to be a syndrome. I, and I've seen enough films that have been coming out, enough great directors, great actors coming up, and the audience responding to them that, 
you know, even a year or so after Selma has come out, I, I would hope that because of of the ground that yeah. Selma broke, that, that it wouldn't be the same thing for a, a similar film that's coming behind it uh, to have to face. I think uh, some rather political criticism has been directed towards the Nina Simone film. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I don't know how familiar you are with all of that. I, I don't pay much attention to it. I mean, you know, I, I know there's been a lot of negativity. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I try to stay away from that. I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, impervious, uh, to, to work that I do, uh, being criticized. I don't dismiss, uh, things that are being said, but, you know, uh, I, I can't say that I'm, I'm aware of everything that's right. being said. I don't want to dismiss the movie because I have not seen it. Right. Uh, but I am interested in talking about, the piece that Tanahasi Coach wrote in the Atlantic. Huh. Did you, did you read that? Uh, I'm not aware of it. Okay. Um. He he wrote. He led the piece with. When I was a kid, I knew what the worst parts of me were: my hair and my mouth. My hair was nappy. And he goes on to talk about Nina Simone in total. And he says, in America, racism is a default setting. To do nothing, to go along with the market, to claim innocence or neutrality, is to inevitably be a cog and the machine of racist hierarchy. And the argument he makes, and I'll preface it by saying he has not seen the film, Mm. but the argument he makes is that what was done to Zoe Saldana in terms of makeup, in terms of casting, was a choice made purely for financial reasons. That the film would not get funding without her, and that someone someone with a darker complexion in the current state of Hollywood could not play, or rather is not being chosen to play Nina Simone. Mm -hmm. And he insinuates that this happened because most of the people on the film were white. I mean, I have definitely been the beneficiary of projects where there are black voices in the midst of stories that have black protagonists, um, a black story, um, a black outlook, and it does make a difference. Um, Selma, directed by a white man and an entirely white producing team, is an entirely different film. Right. And you chose a lot of the people who made Selma, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had done Middle of Nowhere with, with Ava and, and um, fought her to to direct it and i'd done the butler with oprah and was very keen for her to produce and and thankfully she said yes and the reason i know it's different is because i i was also around that project when neither of those ladies was part of it and it was a very different conversation conversation uh there was there was a very clear agenda to have lbj be the center of the story Uh, there were points where dr king was a supporting character uh, and so uh, I, I absolutely agree that when there, you know, no one, no one is going to be as passionate about telling your story as you, and no one is going to be able to bring as much authenticity, reality, truthfulness, um, t- tenacity to uh, rigor to telling a story as it, as when it is your experience, when it is your. Uh, life, your life blood that you're, you're putting into telling the story. So there is definitely a difference. Um, what I will say about, about Nina is that in working with Zoe, I 
saw an actress who gave her all, uh, her absolute all. And, you know, in, in making the film, uh, the spirit around it was one of telling the truth, one of trying uh, as much as one can to, with, a, with rigor, to get to the heart in some way of who Nina Simone was. The thing about an artistic endeavor is that it's an artistic endeavor. It's subjective. You know, it's going to, you know, I've seen things with a friend who uh, they hated it and I loved it. And that friend is my wife, you know, Uh, you know, no, I mean, but watching films with, with my wife and she'll, she'll love something. I'll hate, you know, and that, and that's the nature of it. You know, you win some, you lose some, but for me, it's all about the spirit in which the thing is done. So you don't think the film was negatively affected by the fact that it was predominantly made by white people? It would be a different film, no question. It would be a different film if it was made by a man. It would be a different film if it was made by a black man. It would be a different film if it was made by a black woman. And it's the film it is for having been directed by who it was directed by. There's no, you you know, we, we would be being disingenuous to say that the, 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 captain of the ship or the voices that are part of the creative conversation don't shape the narrative of a film that would that would just be be a lie but at the end of the day i think that what what i'm really interested in is volume i'm interested in getting to the point whereby we're making enough movies that you are cultivating enough talent ah. that whether it's a conversation around financeability or the politicizing of films. The, you know, the reason why so many of the films I do become politicized is because they are anomalous. Right. Is because they come along, you know, uh, uh, the help. Name me another film quite like that. Uh, or Selma, uh, the film like right. Five Nights in Maine, the same thing. Red Tails, I mean, that took All 25 which, years right. for, for George Lucas to get that film made. The Butler, no studio in Hollywood wanted to make. We had to do it all with private financing, you know, before that film went to make nearly $200 million. You know, the, so many of the, the projects I choose to do are so hard to get made and so therefore they're sort of these unicorns that have to endure such a magnifying glass that no piece of art really should have to endure because it is art uh-huh. it is not it, it cannot be all things to all men for their salvation you mentioned volume so are you okay with the quality of the work slipping if there's more quantity white filmmakers are allowed that privilege day in day out you know you you are allowed as an actor specifically a white actor or a white male director to to have some bombs and it doesn't mean you go into director jail you're allowed to <laughs> right. as as a as a white actor to you know have films that don't do well and you don't suddenly uh, uh disappear it's not the same thing as a black actor especially not as a black female uh, director uh, or actress um, because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of, ah, oh, you see, people don't want to see that. And that's the distinction I make between the industry and the audience. You know, the audience is telling, you know, the, the industry, uh, the studios, that it doesn't like certain things all the time. 
you know, but they don't stop right. using those directors or those actors. It's not quite the same thing. Why don't they stop? Uh, because those actors and directors look like them and they are telling their story and they want their story constantly being told by people they like. Um, and, uh, it's, it's as simple as that. Right. Whereas if you are, if you are rarefied or you are ghettoized or, or, or you are definable as something other, it's very easy to dismiss you, ignore you and have a reason, an excuse to marginalize you. But you're not going to do that to yourself when you're king, when you're on the, in, in the position of power. You know, you're going to perpetually forgive yourself and your children and your friends, which is what those groups that get several chances represent. I was thinking you said king, and I my immediate thought was, yeah, you came from a uh, family. There's a street in Nigeria named after your your family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you've talked about before how that I feel like has emboldened you. Like you have you have so much confidence. I've seen I've seen you do a Q and A on stage, and you're impeccably well dressed and you're confident and you're funny and you're do you think um this is such a hypothetical but you think that has allowed you to continue onward in a way like that that background has propelled you forward in a way that i think so i i i i apologize to no one for who i am and for the um confidence i have in who i am and and the who would you have to apologize to uh if you are if you are someone who um in an in the industry you're in there is a syndrome of there can only be one and that's perpetuated by what you see Sidney Poitier Denzel Will Smith this notion that once there's one it becomes the reason to it's it's a way of placating everyone else and also saying don't complain you've got your one you know which i would say have people told you not to complain it's 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 subtler than that you know because it's as as a white actor you're you're never you don't get the same you don't you don't get oh are you going to be the next denzel you know what that's that's what actors like me get are you going to be the next one yeah. You know, I can guarantee you that any number of uh, white actors coming up are not constantly living under the 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 phrase, "Are you going to be the next Brad? Are you going to be the next Tom? Right? You're the next Chris." Yeah. You know, there's, a, Chris's, there's a line of them. Why, they, why are there so many Chris's? Because you're allowed to for there to be more than one. Uh. You're allowed. To, can you imagine if there was a, a string of Denzels? No, because Denzel's the best. He is the best. Inevitable. But there are some there are great actors, great, great actors that I know of by name, who it's all about opportunity. It's all about their talent meeting up with opportunity. And and in a sense, that's where the apology could come in. Where in a bid to be the next, you reshape yourself in order to be palatable to the status quo. And for me, that is that would be to denigrate who I am, right. what I represent, and and to be perfectly frank, 
to to make me lesser than my peers. Sean Penn apologizes to no one. Right. He doesn't have to. Daniel Day-Lewis does a film when he wants to. And when he does it, you pay attention. It's unapologetic. Yeah. And he is allowed space to do that. Fantastic. But he would not be, he would not then be um, rid- ridiculed in a way that would be pre- professionally prohibitive. Right. I think that if he were black, that would be a reason to dismiss him. Oh, you did this. Sorry. Yeah. You're not in this movie. Oh, you're a bit, oh, you're a bit, you know, as opposed to. Him, it just, God, it's like a revelation in my head. When when Sean Penn does something like that, or a white actor does something ridiculous. Yes. They're eccentric. Exactly. Exactly. Someone of color does it. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're. They're crazy. Oh, they're, they can't be trusted. Exactly. Well, they go to prison. It's true. I could, I could name you the actors who have gone to prison when other actors have you know, eventually been welcomed back. And in many ways, because they are now an underdog story, it is now, oh, come on back in. And you know what? <laughs> We're going to pay $20 million a movie for the fact that it's, it's now a, a triumph a or a fantastic story. Right, exactly. Whereas, you know, uh, to be perfectly frank, uh, if if you're a, if you're a black woman, a woman, man, you know, it's it becomes a reason to 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 say okay, that's that's why we need to be careful of that. So, you know, but the thing for me is, it, it, all, all of this can sound like sour grapes. It sounds like one is complaining. It's just a reality, and it's a reality based on experience. And the thing that I know uh, is true for me is that whether or not I go on to scale the full heights that I hope for myself, the one thing I wouldn't be able to live with is the idea of curtailing the force of what I want to do and what I want to see, not just in me, but in others. The opportunity and the platform I want for women directors. You know, I, I still can't get my head around a, a country like America that is 51% female. And in 2014, of the top 250 films made, only 7% of them were directed by women. That doesn't make sense. Right. That doesn't make sense. And that has to change. And so for me, it's not just about race. It's about the complexity of humanity being seen. We are all richer for it. It just so happens that I'm a black man. And so my experience is where I'm, you know, speaking from, but there are so many groups, Asian people, Hispanic people, women, you know, disabled people, uh, who aren't being seen in the way that they need to be seen. And my genuine hope and desire is to help as a producer, um, as an actor, who hopefully is is shifting the hinges, hopefully blowing the hinges off at some point, that there was just going to be, it's going to be evident that there's an appetite for more than just a middle-class white male point of view in cinema. You said it perfectly. Thank you so much for doing this, really. My pleasure. Well, there it is. Thanks again to David for coming on the show, and be sure to keep an eye out for Five Nights in Maine as it makes the festival rounds this year. You can also stream some of David's best work on Netflix, including Middle of Nowhere, The Paperboy, and The Butler. Wait, sorry. Lee Daniels, The Butler. 
Remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes and SoundCloud or your favorite podcasting app. And if you want to send mail of any kind, hate mail, love letters, miscellaneous thoughts on Donald Trump, our favorite, email the show at talkeasypod at gmail.com. I promise I read every single one of these. You can follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at TalkEasyPod. And lastly, if you have a spare moment in your busy day, please give us a review on iTunes. It helps us reach new listeners. As always, our theme music is provided by Vanilla. Our executive producer is David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Technical assistance provided by Joe Stillwater. And the show is produced and edited by Corey Tad. I'm your host, Sam Fragoso. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts.